This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. In an octopus's garden. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. It is two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. I'm Anthony Boxhaw. Oh, Rex Hunter. And your mic is not on. How about try that one? <laughs> Let's try that one. That's better now. I'm Rex Hunter. <laughs> G'day, Rex. How are yeah, you? Yeah, hello, Anthony. Now I found you. <laughs> For a while there, you were just somewhere in the wilderness. I was in the ether. You were in the ether, in the radio waves. <laughs> we have to thank uh, young Timothy Thorpe yeah. for... Another great show. Oh, brilliant. Just, you know, I just, yeah. It's like a beautiful piece of, a beautiful bottle of wine, Tim. You know, just as he, as he matures, he just gets better and better, better. Is there a, like, you know, do you reckon he, he reaches a, a point, a point which he can't get any better? <laughs> I, I, I can't. He starts not, going downhill then. <laughs> no, no, he'll never get corked. I'm going to torture that analogy. I can't see him, but I'm sure he's, he's just really happy that we're... <laughs> Pumping up his tyres. Giving me the look. It's giving me the look. Uh, yeah, so um, Bron's away this weekend. She's, I think, recovering from the huge, you know, last, last yes, weekend. The, the Battle of the... Um, Battle Royale. Royal. <laughs> <laughs> I hear she may be being poached by interstate clubs <laughs> for uh, the, 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 uh, the organisational and poaching, uh, Bris- coaching. Yeah, Brisbane. Brisbane. Brisbane's looking at it. I heard she was in another state between <laughs> here and there for the next week. I reckon she's talking to Sydney, but... Uh, oh. Just keep it, we'll keep, keep it to yourself. Keep, keep it under the <laughs> lid. You never know when to get it to, you know. <laughs> hey, we've got a big show. Huge, huge. Big show. We're, we're going to... 
weather, weather and news and all <laughs> sorts of stuff. That's true. But and um, later in the show, Dr. Angela Murphy um, from Federation University is going to join us live uh, by the phone, talking about some. Uh, soon to come out social research around shifting communities and expectations and uses of the coastline. So, yeah, something very topical from down Barwon Way. A lot so, of pressure on the coast these days. Yeah, growing. So that'll be that'll be interesting. Very interesting, yes. And then um, d- who's this guy? You're going to talk about some, what, Samuel Plimsoll? Plimsoll, Samuel Plimsoll. He was a, the friend of the seaman, the uh, saviour. And uh, Yeah, I'm intrigued by this. Came up with the load line. That um, saved an awful lot of lives. So all shall be revealed. Yeah, I don't want to. No, no, don't give it away now. I don't no, <laughs> no, no. This is this is the show where the notion of shipping tonnage <laughs> gets revealed. Yes, all shall be revealed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, and um, lots of different news. There's a there's a big. Um, Something happening down in Western Port today. We'll talk to Shannon from the VMPA a bit later on about what's going on there and a few other things. But you've got the weather. I can the weather, hear the rustling oh, of the weather. <laughs> the rustling. I shall put my glasses on so I can see in this very poor light. Somebody should pay the bills here. Do you think, well, I think, it's, you know, I think it's more our eyes. Yes. There, so we're at the moment, uh, well, we've got um, between 5 and 14 degrees today, which I think we've um, ex- exceeded the, the fo- oh, preceded what? the 5. Seriously, they were supposed to be five. Yeah, well, yeah. In my backyard this morning, it was zero yeah. at eight. That was at eight. Well, I think we had about <laughs> five, five or six over at Newport Way. So oh. It's absolutely freezing. Oh, yeah, no, it is a very good. It's a beautiful one of those beautiful clear yeah, crisp. crisp ones. I love them. Yeah, so five kilometre an hour of winds, which is uh, extremely light, um, good for, for surfing or diving, I would assume. Five uh, percent chance of rain. And uh, What is it, five day? It's the five day. Five five percent <laughs> chance of rain. Five <laughs> knots wind. Five kilometre wind. Yeah, I, I do like <laughs> knots, though. I do. Um, oh, was it knots? No, no, kilometers. no, no. That would be yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we like knots. <laughs> <laughs> so tides at the head. Um, high tide. You have to get up a few hours ago. Was it four <laughs> three a.m. <laughs> so. I'm not sure that was very helpful, <laughs> that piece of information. <laughs> Low waters at eleven oh one a.m. So get ready. Um, Obviously, that's not slack water. That's hey, be about now. Uh, yeah, oh, be about an hour ago. About halfway between the tides. It's yeah. usually, slow. usually high time, tide at Williamstown is roughly slack water at the heads. Yeah, so that would have been when. When's low? Uh, lo, low water is at eleven one right. a.m. and at four. So what's halfway between four and eleven? Couple of hours ago, <laughs> hour and a half ago. There we go. Hour and a half yeah. ago, it was slack water. So we're coming up with all the really <laughs> <laughs> relevant, up to date info, aren't we? <laughs> so yeah, and um, surf. Although we shouldn't be talking about surf. Um, oh, look Bells out. Beach and Winky Pop, uh, clean one metre waves and nearby breaks, also offering fun. Fun. Gee, fun. that does not sound. I think that what that means is there's it not might much be going dangerous on. Fun. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I um. Today is our 950th show. Wow. Yeah, 950 shows. That's like one more than 949. 49. Yeah, yeah, good point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, of course, is a big milestone. <laughs> but that's not bad, is it? That's, that's well done. Now, for those who are actually doing the maths, um, so if this is our 22nd year, um, clearly we haven't done 50 shows a year. 
Yeah. So it, it doesn't. Don't try and do that. It's actually it's a very complicated algorithm. <laughs> Ron and I tried to work it out one time. And, oh crikey! Because there's all you know you've got, you, the you got the breaks, and then in the first couple of years we kind of shared the spot. We we're in a little slot in Tim's show for you know the first little kind of bid, and this you know after summer and in ninety six seven. So you know it's actually there's a, it's a complicated uh, mathematical equation. Yeah, a lot of people weren't even born back then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Oh, <laughs> gosh. Who are they? <laughs> They're probably actually my GP. Um, hey, um, should we play a bit of a track and then Why let's not? come back? Let's go get on with it. All right, and we'll come back with a bit of um, all kinds of different music. Uh, I'm we'll Google play. some news in between to come up with something. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's heaps to talk about. Of course there is. Um, I just um, – speaking of things that happened a very, very, very long time ago, I, I um, have was just aid – oh, gosh, when was it? About a month and a half ago. Um, Archie Roach had his um, had was live at um, Hamer Hall and Titus supported them and it was fantastic and I was, I was looking back through the whole CD collection I came across their first EP wow and I thought I'm going to play and I actually played this at Hamer Hall and uh, this is from uh, the first EP from Inside My Kitchen which is actually the early nineties. When um, any of you out there who are a bit younger, who are my GP, will know. You know that's, that's quite, you know. <laughs> a long time ago. You're on Radio Marino. We're back in, in a tick with some news. Indeed, you are on 3RRR. It is 14 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. And before um, those little messages, uh, Titus, from the original EP, which kind of scarily came out in 1992, which is a very long time ago. First right? edition. Is yeah, for, that is, yeah, yeah, first edition. Anyway, there we go. With that, that just, you know, like I get chills up my spine when I hear Sally Dusty sing like that. It's beautiful. Anyway, you're on Radio Marinara. It's 40 minutes past the hour of 9 o'clock. Uh, we've got all kinds of news to cover. Uh, you've been in the Vatican. I've been in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody has anyway. Well, Australian researcher um, Heather Dalton from the uh, from Melbourne University was in uh, doing some research with some another number of other scholars and she came across a, a book on, of all things, uh, Birds of Prey, Hunting with Birds of Prey okay. from the 12th century. Wow, okay. Commissioned by um, Sicilian Pope, so between 1241 and 1248. Right. And inside... Hang on, so hang on, hang on. I'm going to just... So, like, there are, there are books in the Vatican that are just history books. They're, it's, just, they're just not, you know, religious books. Yeah, well, well it's all sorts of stuff. I suppose. I, I assume. I'm, and so, so there's a particular Pope who happened to be Sicilian... Yes. ...who collected works, including the history of... Birds of prey. Birds of prey. Hunting with birds of prey. In the 12th century. In the 12th century. Wow. So, um... Uh, 12th century? So, yeah. well, like, who would write... Like, monks? Or, what, like, who would write that? Well, basically, monks were the only people yeah, who could write back then. So, they were mainly the educated people. Isn't that interesting? So, um... Illustrated as well. And inside... Illustrated? An in, illustrated book? Inside, okay. You'll never guess what what was it... There was a picture of... No, hang yeah. on, okay, okay, hang on. Um, Doctor Who. No, sorry, <laughs> I just threw that in. <laughs> Actually, no, Doctor Who, no. <laughs> it was a cockatoo, of all things. Rubbish. No, absolutely. It's 12th century, so 1100 and something. No, 12... Oh, Hang on, I've got my centuries back to front. <laughs> 13th century. 13th century, so 1200 and something. Yeah, yep. There was a monk 
in Italy, or what was to become Italy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sicily, yeah, yeah. Sicily. Down south. Drawing pictures of cockatoos. From How uh, on earth would they do that? Well, apparently there's some – they're assuming that there was a – suggesting that there was a trading system between um, Europe, Egypt, China – and Northern Australia and New Guinea. And no way. So they were actually trading these items and collecting. So this predates all previous ideas of uh, trading with Australia by well, uh, hundreds of years. Well, I guess white trading. Well, white, I mean, yeah, you know, and the Northern Australians were trading for a while. Yeah, documented. Uh, yeah. This is authenticated documentation. So that's, that is really quite amazing. That's me. So, I mean, that suggests that, and I know from um, speaking Dave Steinberg from up Darwin, there he said mm. there are sort of Macassan camps mm. and all sorts of archaeology up there and possibly Macassan shipwrecks as well. Yeah, wow. Providing you don't mind swimming with cro- crocodiles. Yeah, well, yeah, there is that. Well, you know, we'll have that soon. So <laughs> it's really, really quite amazing. How news. interesting. Yes. And it was one of our cockatoos. It wasn't some kind of, you know, it was like a local cockatoo. It wasn't like, you know. Well, it's local, so it can be from northern what? Australia. Yeah, no, well, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. No, there's um, a sort of between uh, New Guinea, uh, maybe southern Indonesia yeah, yeah. and uh, northern Australia. So, And then it, probably the, the, the Pope would have loved it for about, you know, a couple of days. Yeah. And then when it didn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Can someone take that cockatoo back, please? Cockatoo roast. <laughs> Goodness me, how extraordinary. Hey, um, so speaking of um, crocodiles, did you see, have you seen recently uh, there was that art article about uh, there being some concern that crocodiles have spread far enough south now that they're actually quite close to Noosa, so the Sunshine Coast, which is very unusual. That's actually, you know, many hundreds of kilometres from where they're have been historically, um, at least in recent centuries, uh, which, of course, is just the migration of species, the shifting species stuff. And we talked about that with um, Professor Greta Petzl from University of Tasmania a couple of months back. Um, but there was this article saying that there is a, there is a genuine concern now um, about, obviously, from the tourism perspective, <laughs> of um, you know crocodiles kind of taking up residence. I think they've got within 100 to 150 k's of Noosa. Wow, that is yeah. amazing. Yeah, so you kind of, um, you so know... a race between the cane toads and the crocodiles. Well, the cane toads are going the other way. And <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose they're going south as well yeah. on land. But anyway, the um, yeah, so that one, that's a segue to the thing that I was going to talk about, um, which was the release this week of a thing, call, uh, a thing called Victoria's Coast Preparing for the Future. Now, I have to declare a bit of a potential conflict, although it is the 1st of July, I've just realised. Huh. So um, because I was the previous chair of the Victorian Coastal Council, which prepared this document, um, I'll, um, I kind of, you know, I, I'm here I am talking about it on air, but actually technically the council's term ended yesterday. It's natural term ends at the end of July. So here I am, I'm a, a private citizen talking about an interesting piece of information. I can so. see your footprint <laughs> all over this too, eh? It's, um, anyway, what it was, was a, a, a piece of, um, there's a science panel that the panel had, that the council had, and, and, and they... About a year ago, actually a little while ago, we had um, we had uh, David Provis, who uh, Dr. David Provis, who's one of Victoria's you know well-known oceanographers, in the studio. I think it was late last year, early this year, and he was talking about the the fact that um, just just like literally the day before the inauguration of Donald Trump, <laughs> a series of very major. Um, uh, 
oceanographic and, and, and atmospheric agencies like NOAA, the National um, Oceanographic Atmospheric Agency in the US, and USGS, the Geological Survey, and all those other ones came out with a new global mean sea level um, measurement, or prediction, I yep. should say. And, um, I, you know, it just happens to have been released the day before the inauguration, which, <clears throat> anyway, let's just set all that aside. Thank goodness they did because it's incredibly powerful and interesting information. And I don't know whether you know, but in that kind of global IPCC stuff, the Americans have tended to do the um, the kind of oceanographic things, whereas it's been more the Europeans and Asians that have been doing kind of, the, you know, uh, some of the other predictions. So it's just interesting. It's, so, the, so they have been the powerhouse, the Americans. Anyway, they released this new global mean sea level rise. The science panel of the Coastal Council then said, oh, crikey, what's that mean for Victoria? And then had a workshop and did a bit of work, but then came up with this piece of... Um, of Science that's, that talks about more what are the impacts likely to be on the Victorian coastline. And so, uh, you know, you know, they talk about biological impacts and physical impacts. And then the, the Victorian Coastal Council asked them, so what does this actually mean for things like beaches or seabirds or fish or all kinds of stuff? And so they've, they've captured that and they've also captured um, what we know and what we don't know. And there's kind of a bigger, deeper report and then there's a kind of almost like a four-page brochure. Anyway, that is available on the website which still does exist of the council, vcc.vic.gov.au. And that will exist even, um, you know, they will find a home even into the future. But a neat little piece of kind of science communication aimed at kind of the, you know, like people like who are managing the coast. Yes. Councils, CMAs, those kind of things to say, all right, what do we expect? Yeah, what do we need to get in order? The one thing that I kind of am comforted a little bit by is whilst we know, even if we achieve the Paris levels sorry i should say when we achieve because australia's on track but i mean globally i'm not sure globally we're on track to achieve paris but even if that occurs we've locked in a whole lot of sea level rise already yeah yes you know turn the turn it back yeah can't undo it and so you know we're gonna you know regardless of you know all that all that stuff that goes on about what fuel types do we use and emissions and everything this stuff's locked in it's happening yes so we have to get used to it so this was one of the um i guess it was the idea was to raised that consciousness and it was a, a kind of a piece that the council felt was important to get out there. So did they sack Noah, all the <laughs> scientists oh, and Noah, and put some flat earth and sit in instead? There's a whole other story there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's actually been a very interesting number of um, what you might call scientific refugees from a number of US agencies that have been moving around the world, particularly yeah. from organisations like the US EPA and other places. Where, where, now, that was more gutted than some of the other ones, but there you go. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you, you can have too much science. Uh, well, for some people, <laughs> yes. I think you're right. Um, you're on Radio Marinara and we're going to um, – I'm going to – we are down in um, Westernport today. There's a bit going on. Uh, there's a, I think there's a proposal to build. Let's actually find out. So <laughs> Shannon from VMPA is going to join us on the line. And Finosin, now you're, are you down that way at the moment, Shannon? I almost am. I'm on my way. <laughs> Brilliant. Now tell us what's happening down there today and what are people kind of up in arms about? 
Yeah, sure. So there is a bit going on in Western Port Bay today. Um, so there is um, a rally, and um, we're hoping that as many people in the area will come and join us as possible. Um, but basically, the, the rally has come about um, because of the proposal for two new projects to industrialise Western Port Bay. The first one is an AGL gas project, which could import gas from around the globe, or even gas that's already been um, in Australia and, and exported elsewhere in Australia, shipped back to Western Port at a place called Crib Point and then stored and regasified um, onto on a 300 metre long ship, which would be moored at Crib Point there. Um, and then it would, you know, later on be regasified and join the rest of the network there. And we're just really concerned because of, you know, with this project comes risks of increase in shipping, you know, the risks of explosions, fuel spills, all that kind of stuff. Um, when Western Port has such um, strong natural values, you know, it's an internationally significant Ramsar site, which basically means that it's, you know, internationally it provides critical habitat for shorebirds and um, internationally the high productivity of marine life such as fish and mammals and I think someone even um, told me last week that they saw whales um, you know in Western Port too there mm. um, and it's just it's a huge risk at a time especially not to even mention the impacts from the increase in climate pollution at a critical time when we really need to be um, transitioning to renewable energy and so what's um, what and where are, um, is actually happening yeah, so um, there's a huge rally organised by a few of the different um, really amazing local groups. Um, Save Western Port, Western Port Peninsula um, Protection Council, um, supported by, obviously, um, our organisation, Victoria National Park Association, Environment Victoria, Friends of the Earth and Blue Wedges Coalition. And it is going to be held um, at the Hastings Foreshore. Um, at a place called Fred Smith Reserve mm -hmm. um, today um, from 1pm. I would love to see all of you there. Bring your friends and family. Um, it's going to be a great time. Um, it's a beautiful sunny day, a great chance That's to get gorgeous. out in nature and explore. <laughs> um, and I'll be down there with a lot of other representatives from all of these groups. So come and say hi. We'd love to meet you and, and have a chat. So 1 o'clock today at Fred... Sorry, what was it? Fred? Fred Smith Reserve. I thought, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, Fred Smith's Reserve in Hastings, one o'clock today. Bring your lunch and um, and um, and make your opinion known. Exactly, and just to mention as well, just to clarify, we will be opposing this project along with a, with another project. <laughs> I can't. I, I, that, thanks for clarifying. I kind of figured that was pretty clear. They said it. Hey, thanks for um, for letting us know about that this morning. We, I would now, I would put this up on our Facebook site, but something bizarre. Is that, hey, I just logged in and it said Facebook is not working at the moment, which is a very bizarre thing. But anyway, so one o'clock this afternoon at um, Fred Smith Reserve in Hastings. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for having me on the show. No worries. See ya. So, yeah, everybody, in case you are wondering what's happening with our Facebook and why we're not actually online <laughs> communicating with you, which we normally would be when the show's on, it's um, because it uh, seems to have gone... <laughs> that's a technical term for what happens with Facebook when it doesn't work. I'm seriously, it's like a little sign came up saying it's malfunctioning at the moment. <laughs> I just don't know what that means. Anyway, hey, you're on Radio Monara. We're going to play... Uh, what do we play now? We're going to go way back again. <laughs> well, not so far back, but, like, we're going 90s again, I think. I'm wow. pretty sure it is 90s again. When I started thinking about it, I thought, what the hell? I'm going to play one of my favourite things of Stone and Wood tracks from 1993. You're on Radio Marinara. We'll be back after this. Um, talking about the... 
weight problems the that shits have. <laughs> a long weight. <laughs> a long weight problems. Indeed, you are on uh, 3 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara. It is... And now, uh, now there's something else on today. Uh, all you uh, f- uh, fans of folk and uh, jazz and country and all that type of music, uh, at Newport Bowls Club and Scout Hall and Senior... No, not Senior Sister. Anyway, down Newport, yeah, yeah. off Mason Street, um, just started of Williamstown. There's a, a folk festival on this weekend, started Friday night, and there's yep. all sorts of good bands to go and listen to. So, so Newport Folk Festival? Yeah. It's, it's a cost per entry, but uh, yeah. well worth it. Lots Fantastic. Of, lots of good bands. And that's on all until the end of today? Yeah, to the yeah, end nice. of today. All right, I think cool. the Harmaniacs are playing at some stage. Yeah, okay. Nice. So, okay, cool. Hey, now, I've got – I'm just – off air, we were just talking about the sizes of ships, <laughs> and I honestly didn't know. Like, that, that gas ship that Shannon was talking about, I didn't know that, you know, like 300 metres. And you said, though, Rex, you can – like, there's 400 metre and more. Super tankers, yeah. They're, That's they're, enormous. They're, they're like, you know, tw- um, sixty over 60 metres wide and, you know. 400 – like, almost half a kilometre long. Yeah, yeah. And what's the turning circle on one of those things? <laughs> <laughs> Indian Ocean, That's right. I would say. <laughs> That's remarkable. All they do is take crude from the uh, Arabian Gulf down boom, to boom. down to other big big areas. Um, you know, they'll probably uh, discharge offshore through a yeah, yeah, series yeah, of, of course, because they couldn't. You couldn't bring these things into yeah, piers. You'd be drawing um, up to probably thirty meters of water. No, fully loaded underneath. Oh, crikey, absolutely huge. Yeah, at least twenty. Goodness me. Wow, okay, anyway, there we go. So I wouldn't want to get the job of painting it. Oh, cleaning it. <laughs> get to one end, you have to start again. Well, they actually ride push bikes on the deck. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, how do you get around the deck? You'd have to have those little segways or bikes or... Well, nothing with electricity. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. So bikes, seriously? Yeah, yeah, bikes. push bikes, they ride push bikes. Oh, that is, wow, okay. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> we are here to talk about tonnage. 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 The weighty, weighty topic. <laughs> boom, boom. I'm going to stop those. Well, <laughs> so as, as you could imagine, and if I said we had a 3,000-ton ship, mm-hmm. you would, what would you think automatically? I would think 3,000 tonnes. I would think that's probably not very big. It's big-ish, but it's big. But it would mean that it would displace, I don't know, what, 3,000 tonnes worth of water. Well, there, there are two, uh, two ways of looking at it. You've got t- displacement tonnage and you yeah. also have... Um, Gross tonnage. Okay. Gross and registered tonnage. So displacement tonnage is the amount the ship weighs yeah. and the amount of water it displaces. It. So it's 35 cubic feet of water. Oh. Talking feet because this is all done in oh, feet. Of course, because that's what it really happened, yeah. Displaces one tonne, so more or less. So okay. if your ship weighs, you know, let's say 3,000 tonnes, yeah. you're going to displace that amount of water. And the reason you don't sink is because you've got enough height and the size of your vessel... Not to come over. To Because um, the resistance holds your vessel up. Yeah. It's the resistance of the water. That's why it doesn't sink. As Archimedes found out when yes, he yes. took his infamous bath. <laughs> yep. So you're going to displace that amount of water. So if you had a 3,000-ton piece of steel, which is, say, um, you know, 50 mil thick, mm. and put it on the water, it's going to sink. yes. Absolutely. That's yeah. So you need the sides to come up high yeah, enough yeah, yeah. to counteract the the weight of the vessel. Yep. You never think about ships like that, do you? Yeah. And so hang on. So when they went from wooden things, which probably were pretty light compared to no, no, no. Actually, iron ships were 
were sometimes lighter than wooden ships. Really? Because huh. the massive the amount of timber, if you had a say two thousand ton wooden ship, yeah. you've got hundreds and hundreds of, if not thousands of tons of timber because your you timber is oh, yeah, like hundred mil thick. Yeah, yeah. You got massive wooden knees that you know, and they also take up a lot of space. All that stuff. So yeah, yeah actually, right. When they iron started, they started build an iron. Commercial sailing ships in the eighteen say eighteen fifties. That's when they they suddenly realised, oh, we're onto a winner here. Ah, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. sorry, I disrupt interrupted the tonnage. <laughs> so then we go to um, gross register tonnage. Yeah. So gross register tonnage. That's the uh, tonnage allowing one hundred cubic foot of space for one ton within your vessel, the frame, oh, okay. the fabric of your vessel. Yeah. yeah. So the, the gross is the whole the whole vessel, more or less. Oh, okay, and everything it's carrying. No, 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 no. no. It's just it's the amount of space, volume, amount of stuff it can carry. Even though the sides are around, yeah, yeah. Is a f- f- they sort of averaged it out through the formula, the yeah. sort of Lloyds and that developed to uh, say 100 cubic foot of space is one tonne. So this is what I was going to ask. Why does it matter? And I think you just gave me a big hint when you said Lloyds have yeah. worked out what this – so, you know, like, well, who cares? But if your ship stays up. Yeah. You know, does yeah. it matter? <laughs> like what the tonnage is? Yeah. Uh, so one more. Yeah. You've got net tonnage, net register tonnage, and that is the space where en- room for engines and yeah, all, right. all the rest, crew accommodation is deducted. So that's the actual so cargo. three versions of tonnage. Yes. Yeah. And there's all oh, this light displacement and a few other things. Right. But basically that's, that's what tonnage is. And why do people spend so much time working this out? Because the amount of cargo you can carry is the amount of money you can make. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, in short. So, and this is where um, we're coming with the Plimsoll line. The Plimsoll line, if anybody's ever wandered down to the Yarra River and yeah. seen the ships sailing up and down. They've got a little line. A, there's a circle yeah. running through. It might be on the water line or it might be above, above hopefully, or, or below. Yeah. Um, and there's a line running through it and L's on, one, on the left-hand side, R's on the right, which means it's... R- r- Lloyd's Register, that's your Plimsoll line. Right. So from there, you have another series of um, like a little, uh, uh, like, a, like a series of lines, horizontal lines going down. You know, everyone's going to go when they're down near the docks <laughs> and they're going to try and find this thing now, now that we know what it is. So I have seen this. If you're going out in winter and you're, and your ship's, you know, fully, fully loaded, mm. so you're going to get in all sorts of trouble. So they have... A series of different ones. They have tropical because because the ocean's moving with waves and it's storms very, very rough. and rough. Yeah. So you have um, like tropical tropical freshwater, and that's that's you can go a lot deeper with that. And mm. as you go down, you got freshwater, um, mm. which is slightly um, slightly uh, carry slightly less. Mm. Tropical freshwater, summer seawater, um, winter seawater, and you got winter North Atlantic. Which is really, really nasty. And so it's got more salt and it's colder. It's, uh, well, you can carry less because it gets so rough. Oh, it gets so rough. So it's actually about the roughness as yes. well as, because I was thinking as you went down those things, they are going from warmth to cold and they're getting more saline as yes, well. Exactly. Which means it's likely to kind of, that will change what can actually yeah. be displaced. So when you're loading mm. in the error, you actually go a little bit heavier because when you get into the salt water in Hobson's yep. Bay, you, you can rise up, rise up, yeah, because of the uh, yeah, yeah. the salt water is more dense there. And, so, and and this is the people who are working this out have to calculate this every time. Yeah, yeah, they have to load to the uh, specs; otherwise, they're in all, all sorts of trouble. 
So this is a, called the Plimsoll Line, and Samuel Plimsoll was a, an amazing guy and sort of friend of the merchant seaman. Samuel Plimsoll. Samuel Plimsoll, right. born 1824 in Bristol in the UK and died 1898. Right. He was a British MP, wasn't he? He was an MP, he yeah. got into Parliament, um, and his main... His, his, his main cause was to um, improve the case for seamen because what they would, what the sh- greedy ship owners would do, and this wouldn't happen these days, but they would overload the ships as much as they can, over-insure the vessel. They'd be way, you know, maybe what, 30, 30 centimetres of freeboard or something if you're lucky. Yeah, what? Almost up to the top of the... Yeah. The, the, no. Send them out to sea and if they're all... They made it. They'd make an awful lot of money, and if they were lost, it didn't matter because they were so overinsured, oh. they'd still clean up. No way. So hang on, it's basically an insurance scam. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's news, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't happen these days. No, well, no, actually, it couldn't now because there's all these rules in place. But <laughs> <laughs> it does. Oh right, okay. <laughs> but but the so in that case. The seamen on board, I mean, they're, they, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're so was there a period safe. early on before Plimsoll got involved where there was a lot of seamen dying oh, through oh, just ships yeah, sinking, yeah. overloaded? Plimsoll, like, before he, they got this, um, the Merchant Shipping Act passed in 1876, Plimsoll, when there was a big storm, Plimsoll just wander, wander around sort of down by the waterside, you know, just sick with worry because he knew that... the. <sighs> These poor vessels would be blown ashore because if you've got a wooden sailing ship or steel sailing ship, doesn't, yeah. and you've got a lee shore, so the wind's blowing, you know, 40, 50 knots, and it's blowing onshore, you, you can't claw offshore without – you don't have an engine in your, in your yeah, vessel. Yeah, of course. And you're just going to be blown ashore and smashed – Vessel's going to be smashed to pieces. It's going to people drown, and so um, this is a regular event. I mean, there could really? be events where there'd be hundreds of vessels lost in one night. You're kidding, yeah. right? Okay, in the, in the UK, yeah. So this would be like some, you know, kind of nowadays a huge workplace. You know, like yeah. someone finding out that there's a massive kind of workplace injury or death rate. Yeah, and there's no rules about it. No, no, it's just ad hoc, ad hoc. And so, what did Plimsoll do? Like, how? Did, why is it called the Plimsoll Line? Like, what? Well, Plimsoll actually um, was got, he an engineer or something or a no. No, he wasn't. He was actually um, he was a businessman. He, he got <laughs> right, <laughs> but with a with a compassionate perspective yeah, on yeah, business. Yeah. Well, he got he's got he got his empathy through. Um, he got in the coal business. He tried to um, become a coal merchant, but he was opposed. Yeah, it's, it's cartels. It's, I mean, cartels don't happen these days either. <laughs> no, of course but they don't. It was a yeah, cartel yeah. of coal merchants, and he couldn't itch his way in because he wanted to have his own coal carts and all this type of thing. So he ended yeah. up going broke. In the process, he was destitute and uh, living in poor houses and all that type. So he, he really, yeah, yeah. This is before he went to Parliament. Before he went, up, and he, yeah, and he managed to get back on his feet and build up his fortunes again through um, getting back in the business. Yeah, but he had it gave him great great empathy for the average person. Yeah, yeah. Which you know back then, the, no, no, there was not much to, to get in the Parliament. You you had to have money. Yeah, because yeah. you had to. That you buy, yep. buy, you buy your way in, and of course it was only at that point in the yeah. UK would have been men voting, and probably I think only some men could vote. I think you had to be a house owner. As yeah, well. like I think at that point. You so had if to be you're a, a poor, poor worker yeah. renting yeah. in 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 a squalor, you're yeah, yeah. there's no way now you're going to rise above, rise up in. Okay, so he gets into Parliament. He's worried about all this stuff. How did it go from his concern to an actual circle with a line through it, with a, you know, on the sides of ships? Like, what did they? Well, they had to they had to get together and work out like Lloyd's and all those mm-hmm. those companies because they they're because they're, they're, they're being ripped off. 
they're being written, yeah, they're the main time. insurers, so yeah. it's going to save them money and work out safe safe capacities for the size of your vessel for what you can actually carry. You know, wow. Plates. And so they had like, well, like, I'm just trying to think, well, they have like some kind of task force that came together and yeah, kind of went... committee. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah merchant ship. Now we need to make sure that we've got this much weight and... Yeah, you well, know, exactly. So fair, yeah. fair and reasonable. You know, you don't load the ships until there's only, you know... 20 or 30 centimetres of freeboard. And every single registered vessel out there above a certain size, anything you call yeah, a ship... a commercial vessel. Yep, has, will, will have a plimsoll line on should the side have, of it. Should have a plimsoll line. And obviously Gosh. it wasn't easy because there was a lot of um, merchant ship owners who were in Parliament or had free Oh, okay. So Disraeli actually knocked... knocked the Prime the, Minister? Knocked, yep. English Prime Minister knocked the bill on the head once and plimsoll just exploded with rage. He said, what do you think you're doing... Uh, swore at him and then in parliament in parliament oh, apparently wow. this is the first time it ever happened yeah yeah and so he had to sheepishly apologize a couple of weeks later but he was <laughs> he was so yeah you know, he had the rug pulled out from under his feet so yeah, to speak wow. so he was um he's just outraged that they could do this so in the end it wasn't exactly what he wanted but he managed to get the bill passed the yeah. merchant shipping act passed through in 1876 yeah and eventually he uh, he stepped aside to give his seat to uh, to another parliamentarian. Right. But he, because he was a home minister or something like that, so yeah. he had, Plimsoll figured he'd have a better chance of uh, getting in better conditions, And but it never happened. Wow. But How it, interesting. So he would have, that, that act and, and that activity, that, that kind of activism and approach that he and whoever supporting him took would have saved, what, thousands Tens of lives. Tens of thousands, yes. And it happens, uh, it was just related to the UK, but if your ship, say, came from the US to the UK, you mm. had to meet that standard. Mm. So this then became... Yeah, it became a global, a global, yeah, of course. And by yeah. in the 1930s, they actually got together, a big committee, and it became standard. Uh, One more thing, yeah. he, he then became um, president of the firemen's and seamen and firemen's union of the UK, who actually fought for better conditions on cattle ships for the cattle... Oh, gosh, how oh, – here we are. I've come full circle, haven't we? Yes. So that's, wow. He was a really great man. How – wow, thank you, Rex. So, um, Samuel Plimsel, you're on Radio Marinara. It is about 30, 14 minutes to the hour of 10 o'clock, 14 minutes to the doctor. We're going to play a little bit of um, Shonen Knife singing um, the, some, the, one of the great Carpenters songs, Back in a Tick, talking to Dr Angela Murphy about coastal uses and perceptions. Oh, I just love that song. It is 10 minutes to 10 o'clock. Shown a knife there, top of the world, uh, the great Carpenters track. You're on Radio Marinara. There's 10 minutes to the doctors. They are amassing outside. Parking their golf clubs. They are. They have and golf carts. Um, it is a balmy 11 degrees in the water, you yes. say, Rex? Yes, yeah. That's colder than it is uh, this normally, time of the year yes. normally. It was kind of cold very early. Who said the climate's changing? Hey, we love our beaches and our coast and the fact, uh, frankly, that Radio Marinara is in its 22nd year is a testimony to that. You have enough interest in the coast and marine environment for us to maintain a weekly radio show for decades on the topic. Uh, anyway, the Barwon Coast Committee of Management looks after the coastline around Barwon Heads and Ocean Grove, etc., which are, frankly, some of the busiest beaches in Victoria. 
And they've teamed up with Federation Uni, so Dr Angela Murphy and others. Angela is a Senior Research Fellow at Federation Uni Centre for E-Research and Digital Innovation. Yeah, cool title, right? <laughs> yes. which, which everyone calls SERDI. You know, as you do, you yes. just got to shorten these things. Anyway, Angela's joining us this morning to talk about some upcoming social research and some future research opportunities. Good morning, Angela, and welcome to Radio Marinara. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Certainly. Now, in coming months, you're going to be releasing the final results to that uh, lovely local community down that area about this social research. But for now, give us a little little bit of the background. You know, where did where was the research conducted, and when, and how many okay. people are involved? Yeah, great, sure. Um, well, we were approached probably about six months ago because Barwon Committee of Management were really keen to get a sense of what people in the, their local area were thinking about coastal management issues. So we said, oh, yes, we'll come along and do a little research project to just get a bit of feedback. So we developed an online survey and we decided we'd run a few interviews thinking we might get 200 people responding <laughs> to the survey and maybe 10 people who were interested in the interview. So 1,686 survey responses later, probably 100 emails and 480 people asking to be interviewed, we realised that um, people really wanted to have a say about what was happening in their community. So we ended up, we couldn't possibly speak to 480 people but we did manage to speak to about 100 um, of those we had it we had to actually do a bit of a ballot and people were first in best dressed who could and they were also given the opportunity if they didn't make it in the ballot to actually um, put in a written an an additional written submission which our number about 20 people did that it chose to do that as well so we ended up with this enormous amount of data which has taken us months because you know, the survey's easy because you simply use one of our uh, analysis programs to see what the survey has to say, but even the surveys had a written component and that requires three researchers to read through all of that and look at all the interview transcripts and pull out the key themes. So what were the kinds, some of the kinds of things you were asking people? I mean, that, that level of interest is just extraordinary. I can imagine yeah, there yeah. are marketers out there saying, gosh, how do we get... <laughs> exactly. But so what were the kinds of things? sort of asking them things like what are the one of the things we wanted to identify were what did what did people value about uh, the environment in which they lived and we got lots of feedback about just the natural environment the sense of community the sense of space and place and identity and we asked them about what the key issues were and they raised issues around uh, pressures on infrastructure um, how to manage domestic animals on on the beaches how environmental issues in um, rubbish um, particularly during peak times car parking issues so there were there were an enormous number of issues that were raised by people um, but I guess if I were to say what did we take away from it oh, I'm going to be I am going to be really limited in how much I provide because we're still analyzing it yeah from this process is these people wanted to have a say and I think the findings should go out to them and to the Barwon Committee um, before I sort of get on the radio. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's a really important, I think it's actually a really important point, Angela, with this kind of stuff, when you ask people for their opinions, it's so important to go back to them first with those opinions and then go wider. So I absolutely understand that. I mean, those broad trends you've been talking about, uh, you know, they're, they're interesting in themselves. 
Yes, they really are. And the, the lovely thing was that people... I, I guess if I, as a researcher, social researcher, came out where it was, one, people identified the issues. Two, they did it particularly with the interviews, even when people had differing opinions in a really community-based um, way. OK, how, could, we, could we address the parking this way or could we actually mm. manage different views on domestic animals on beaches this way and so we will incorporate all that both what people had to say and also their suggestions for how to deal with that and um, I'm wondering if when, when you have gone back out to the community it would be great to come back on and talk about the results in detail even though you know, like at the moment you're still analysing them but also then how people took those results yes Yes, look, that would be great to have that opportunity because I think, and one of the things that um, what started as a very small research study two, six months ago has now become an enormous one and because of the interest, we've actually been able to secure um, a scholarship for a PhD. So the research now will continue for another three years. Oh, now, let's so, talk a little bit about that because that's actually an opportunity because I think that's open at the moment and if there's anyone out there, and we have a very broad listenership, if anyone's out there who wants to kind of do further study in this as working in the field, that, that's right, it's actually open at the moment, is that right? It is absolutely open. Give it a quick plug. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, very quick plug. If you have an honours or a master's and you're interested in social social research or environmental research, you can actually um, make an application to be covered for a full-time scholarship, which covers your hex fees plus a small stipend. And, um, yeah, and come and come along and let's see where all of these insights take us over the next three years in terms of working with the community to find a solution. Hello, Angela. It's uh, Rex here. Just uh, were there terms Hi. of reference to the, uh, the questionnaire? I mean, well, did the people have to live within a certain range of, with, of the coast or uh, who, who, was in, who were your audience? Uh, yeah, look, it was actually, it was, uh, it was targeting people on the coast but, of course, there, were, there are people that, that go on holidays there, people who live um, in different parts of the, of the country who still have an interest in that particular, those particular beaches. So one of the questions... So it was 95% of the responses came from people, Barwon Heads, Ocean Grove, around that area. But what we asked them to do is to put their postcode. So we've mapped that spatially so we can actually see, OK, so the vast majority came from here, but we have some people who, you know, so we can, we can actually see where people have come from who responded to the to the uh, data collection and actually data. Yeah. one of the that that in, so surdy the center um you know that yeah. I, when i think of surdy i think of fantastic data visualization so i can i was wondering where there was going to be some you know data visualization happening in so you've just hinted to that now that yeah. part of the coast that's undergoing enormous population change it's a growing area growth kind of corridor was was you know i can imagine what what's your perception um, of, you know, what will that do in, you know, for people's views of the coast over time? Look, it's really interesting, and I think that that comes to the heart of, the, of what people were really concerned about. It was a notion of we know that we're changing, we know that we're growing, and we accept that as part of, you know, um, the, the evolution of people being drawn to the coast. But we want to actually look at forward planning for that, and we want to maintain our sense of community. So there was a really strong sense that, yes, it is growing, but there was also a sense that if we work proactively with communication and education and all of those factors, we can actually take that, walk hand in hand with that process. So that was incredibly... Um, 
positive, yeah. It was not we, a sort of, there was never a sense of, oh, we don't want this to be happening. No. We're definitely, I'm really, um, but we'll keep in touch and later in the year when you guys have been back out, done all the full analysis, been back out, it'd be great to come back and have a bit further chat, Angela. That'd be great. And look, by mid-July, August, we'll have something out there. So, yeah. And if people want, if there is a, a potential student out there, do, what, Google Federation University, Surdy Beaches? <laughs> I can get, yes. So one option is to go to the Fed Uni website and just type in Barwon Coast uh, PhD Scholarship. Oh, there we or go. Or they can ring me. I'm happy to leave a number and um, we can get back to them. So No worries. We'll let we'll so, let people go. I think the online way, yeah, <laughs> it's right, a better, better, much better. Good. You don't. You, we could get all kinds of you know, could get all kinds of calls. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, and um, good luck with the research. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Cheers. have a nice Sunday. See Bye. ya. Bye. Dr. Angela Murphy there from Federation University. How interesting! I'm really intrigued later in the year when they've done that full analysis to to come back in. Thank you, Rex Hunter. Thanks, Anth. You've run a very tight ship today. Oh, coming from you. Wow. <laughs> oh, makes me proud. Um, and thank, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Angela Murphy from Federation yes. University. The doctors are well and truly lined up. And uh, we will bron- we'll be back. No, not next week. She's still being sure. poached by the other teams. <laughs> um, uh, but um, there was lots on next week. See ya. It's all happening. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.